welcome Nexus Church family online to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us, go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the information on there as well as emailing nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, but we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back, Nexus Church family, to another message in our series in the book of Mark, where we're examining the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. Last week, we examined how we should respond when people betray us or when things go bad or when maybe has it happened with Jesus, we feel as if God has let us down. Jesus was in the garden, if you remember, and he had his followers next to him. He told them that they were going to betray him or run in just a few short moments. They denied it. They denied scripture. They denied his, his, his authority and said they would never do that. They would die with him. Well, they couldn't even stay awake in the garden as Jesus was experiencing extreme agony. When he was crying out to God, take this away. I don't want to go through what I have to but yet your will be done. Jesus was going through so much emotions and his own friends couldn't stay awake with him. And so we examined what do we do when we feel alone, when we feel like God is distant and he's not taking away what we wished he would or we had this dream or this desire and God seems to have gone, like just vanished, not communicating with us. We all will go through that in life. And now, we continue on in the story of Jesus and his final moments on earth, and we experience this time of questioning in the temple with the high priest and the other religious elites. And then we will examine when Peter experienced the, I don't know what you would call it, but the depths of pain, of betraying, denying the one who you deeply have affection for. And so we will examine what we do when we fail, miserably fail, and how do we respond and become resilient? Because I think that's that's what we all need in this time where we live right now in the world after COVID and all of the tensions that have come because of COVID and how things have gotten politicized and, and everything is polar. How do we become resilient in the face of everything just blowing up in our face and, and the world truly not being what it once was just three short years ago? We live in a different world. How do we become resilient and not give up, not lose hope? And we'll see that in Peter's life. And so let's get to it today. Mark chapter 14, and we will begin in verse 53. And if you are following along, we do read from the CSB version, Christian Standard Bible. And, uh, and I hope that today 
that this will not only challenge you, but it will bring you comfort and peace as well. So verse 53 of Mark 14. They led Jesus away to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes assembled. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. So here we have Peter. You know, we get this little glimpse that, remember, just what we read last week, everybody abandoned Jesus. They took off. The last thing we read last week was that as far as we're aware, most people believe that the last person there when Jesus was confronted by the religious elites in the garden, when he was praying to the Father and his friends were sleeping, Judas came up and betrayed him with a kiss, and they took him away. There was one person there, and they grabbed a hold of him. And this is what most people would consider as Mark himself. And when they grabbed him to take hold of him, he escaped out of his clothes and ran away naked. Everybody had been abandoned him. As far as what we can read in Scripture and what we know from history, but Peter came back. That's resilience, right? Even though he had ran and did exactly what he said he would not do, he still came back. He's got to give him credit. And he was, as we read, in the priest's, high priest's, courtyard. He was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. He was amongst the angry mob, staying warm in the middle of the night. Continuing on. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. There was nothing they could put him on trial for. Nothing in the law was broken by Jesus. They continuously, over and over with, in, in the life of Jesus, as we read in the book of Mark and examined it, cross-examined it across all the other accounts in the Gospels, we, we see them constantly pointing fingers at Jesus saying he is, is he's framing himself. He is doing everything against the law of what it says to do. And when push came to shove, they sat down and they put him on trial. They could not find anything that he was guilty of. He never broke the law. Had nothing. So with that, in verse 56, we read, For many were giving false testimony against him. Right? So they couldn't find anything to put him on trial for because he didn't break any laws. And so now they're trying to get people to, to come up with some kind of false testimony of what they saw him do that was illegal, that was against the law. <laughs> Listen to this. And the testimonies did not agree. <laughs> they couldn't even get people to agree on how to falsely set him up. This is craziness. 
They did not agree. So some stood up and gave false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made by human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimonies did not agree even on something that was related to what he said. He did say that, not quite the way they reported it. So they were given these false testimonies saying, Jesus did this, Jesus did that. And then somebody else would come in and say, oh, Jesus did this. And it would be like, that doesn't line up with what that guy just said. So there was not even two who could agree to put Jesus on trial. But then the unexpected happened. Jesus self-incriminated. Listen to this, verse 60. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? Like, out of exasperation, the high priest stands up and says, Jesus, speak for yourself. Have you heard all of this? And I can only imagine what Jesus is thinking in his head. Yeah, they're looking like idiots. (laughs) They're trying to set me up, and they can't even agree on how to set me up, right? Like, how crazy is this? The high priest is beside himself, and he's like, what do I even do with this, right? We're getting nowhere. Here we finally have Jesus in our presence. We can get rid of him, and it's falling apart before my eyes. Jesus could have walked away in that moment clear. A clean title, nothing against him, no, nothing on his report from the police department. He had a clean bill. But he kept silent and did not answer, right? He could have said, yeah, do you hear these guys? Yeah. I'm innocent, guys, (laughs) right? And again, the high priest questioned Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? So here it is. He states the real issue at hand. Remember, for all of the religious elites, for anybody to claim to be the Messiah or to be God, they were considered a heretic. Nobody could claim that except for the Messiah himself. And they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Because nothing lined up in their ideology, even though it was supported by Scripture. And so Jesus replied, because he has to be truthful, right? Jesus could have ignored him and walked away perfectly clean. But Jesus isn't going to just let that go. He's going to state what he's stated all along. And he said, I am, right? I am going way back to Moses, going way back to Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. When God appeared, what did he say? I am Yahweh. That's like lightnings to the religious elite. But then Jesus just didn't leave it at that, proclaiming himself as Yahweh. He said, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of 
heaven. That right there. Pointing back to Psalm 110, verse 1, and Daniel 7, 13. Jesus points back to Scripture and says, I am, and I will fulfill what was written about me in the Psalms, in Daniel, in Moses. I am, and you will see me when I get to heaven. That's all it took. And with that, the high priest tore his robes and said, why do we need witnesses? These guys, we don't need you anymore. All those false testimonies, we have everything we need right here. Did you hear what he said? He proclaimed that he is Yahweh. The son of man is Yahweh. Inconceivable, not possible. You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. Why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus set himself up? He could have walked away there. Been perfectly clear, and they could do nothing. He said exactly what they needed to execute him. So when Jesus pointed back to Psalm 110 and Daniel 7 in his passage, he did something. There was a point, and I, and I brought this up in a previous message, and I really want to just camp out just for a moment on this because this is so important in understanding what was going on here. Jesus was very meticulous in how he went about everything in his ministry. He pointed back to scriptures continuously to point people to the fact that he came to fulfill scripture. And when, when the religious elite heard that, they knew exactly what he was doing. And they hated it because he continuously fulfilled everything that was written about him. And they had no way to combat it because you cannot disprove scripture when it lines up totally with what it said it was going to do. So when we see a prophecy that Jesus would come from Bethlehem and he came from Bethlehem, they couldn't argue that. There's no way to say, but, 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 but. There was nothing. Jesus fulfilled everything, and they had no way to combat it. Jesus came to fulfill Scripture. Listen to this. Jesus said it himself. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Right? So every time somebody says, well, we don't live underneath the Old Testament anymore. No, there's, a, there's more to it than just that. We don't live under it because Jesus fulfilled it 100%. He followed through. And he became the sacrifice that we were to perform to be right with God. He did it. He fulfilled it. 
And then we read in Luke 22, verse 44, it kind of falls in line with this, this scripture that we read today a little better. And Jesus said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. In other words, Jesus, he dotted every I and he crossed every T. He fulfilled the Old Testament perfectly. That was his mission. He came to fulfill everything that was written about him. He did it to perfection. And when he did that, it drove the religious elite crazy. Because they had no way to win when Jesus used scripture against them. You see, our enemy, whether it's in human form or in spiritual form, when the enemy is behind the forces that are against us, when we stand in obedience to the Father, he cannot stand. The enemy heard everything Jesus was doing, saw it, understood it full well, and it drove him insane, and it enraged him, and it enraged the enemies of Jesus because behind all of the religious elite was the enemy. It was, it was the one who's been in combat against Jesus since the day he fell. Lucifer, Satan, the devil, hated Jesus and was behind everything that was looming in the background when Jesus was doing ministry. He was against everything Jesus did. Why? Because Jesus was totally fulfilling the Father's plan. The scriptures, the truth. You can't stand it. And so when you stand in truth, when you stand in obedience to the Father in what he's called you to, what he's put on your heart, what you know to be true, what scriptures consider to be the word of God, when we stand upon those things, we should expect the enemy to be against what we're doing and push against us and push and push and push, trying to break us. The enemy was doing that to Jesus. And when Jesus stood up and he said exactly what the scripture said, just push that button and finally broke. Broke open the gates to what was about to happen. Salvation for us. The fulfillment of Scripture. The fulfillment of the covenant that God established with Israel that is now available to our people. Jesus fulfilled it. Our enemy cannot stand obedience to the Father. Well, our story is not done today. It goes on in verse 65. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, Prophesy. The temple servants also took him and slapped him. And what do we see? We see entering into the scene, Peter himself watching this all, hearing it all. 
when Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maid servants, high priest's maid servants, like, what would you do if the high priests, the one who is just condemning your best friend and putting him to execution, his maidservant, his slave, his, his woman servant, comes up to you and says, when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. She recognized him. Was she there in the garden when the mob came to take him away? Did she see Peter chop the man's ear off? I don't know, but she recognized him and knew pretty confidently that it was him. He denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out of the entryway and the rooster crowed. You would think in that moment, Peter would be like, oh my gosh, Jesus said it. And before the rooster crowed twice, I would deny him three times. Like you would think that in that moment, Peter would have been like, oh, I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be fighting against this. I'm not going to let this happen. Right? And he went out to the entryway and the rooster crowed. When the maidservant saw him again, she's like, I know. <laughs> you are trying to fool me. I know you're one of his. Right? She began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. She's like, he's lying to me. I know it. I know it. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you're also a Galilean. Like we could tell. We hear your speech. We see your mannerisms. You're one of them. It's like you can't hide this. It is so clear. He started to curse and swear, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter, Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken this word to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He broke down. Now, so often we kind of point at Peter like I just did in reading the text. Make fun of him or make light of him or make excuses for him. I mean, I, there's so many different things that we do with Peter, right? But let's remember, he is in the high priest's courtyard. He is surrounded by a mob who hates Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest men who was willing to fight, who was the outspoken one, who was the leader of the pack. He had a, a policeman or an officer, however you want to consider what that gentleman was that was next to him. He had the high priest maidservant on the other side. I can't imagine what he was thinking in that moment. I mean, what? What if she really 
themselves know that I'm a follower of Jesus. Like, what's she going to tell the high priest? What if the officer finds out? Like, what if they convince him? What, what will he do to me? If they seized Jesus, they will certainly seize me. They tried to, to take Mark with them when, when they came to the garden and he escaped naked. Like, what will they do to me? right-hand man. I'm a fighter. I'm the rock. Such a rock of power. I mean, think about it. You're all alone. I can't imagine what was going through his mind in those moments. You know, you, you have the servants, you have the police, you have the mob around him. You, you Where's the other ten, right? Like, why aren't they here with me? If only I had my, my posse with me, it wouldn't be so lonely and scary. And, and where is Judas anyhow? I want to get my hands on him, right? Like, all these emotions are flooding through him. If Judas wouldn't have done what he did, I wouldn't be here right now. I wouldn't be in this situation. All the emotions, all the emotions crashing in on him. And remember, remember the reality is, is that this was the middle of the night and they had just fallen asleep when they were supposed to be fighting with Jesus in prayer. So they're sleep deprived. They had so many emotions going through them, not understanding fully what Jesus was talking about and experiencing all this. And then, then it happened. your best friend the Messiah two times the rooster crowed it's about sun up now that's just one of those things right like Jesus predicted it the rooster crowed one time how could I not see through my emotions? How could I? That's Mark. And then to add to it, Mark doesn't add this in, in his account, but in Luke 22, uh, verse 61 through 63, we read at the moment of his denial when the rooster crowed the second time, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. What a low. Like, what a low. I, I don't know what kind of failure you've experienced in your life. We will all experience failure in life, whether it's to someone you love, a friend, a family member, maybe a coworker, a boss, maybe Jesus himself. We're all going to, as we call it, epically fail. We're going to do it. And maybe it's a lot of minor failures that equal a lot over the course of your life. But we will fail. Peter failed. All the disciples failed Jesus. This, this had to really sting. Jesus looks at him when the rooster crows, and Jesus knows full well what just 
transpired between Peter and those around him. Boy, was Peter thrilled. Like, I can't believe it. How could I? How could I? But here's where we want to go with this today. Is though we will all fail, we all have the ability to be resilient. We all have the chance to, to not stay in our failure. And, and, and this is where the, the crossroads is for every person in life. Because there are people who fail and they never, ever rebound. Resilience is key. I love how Winston Churchill put it. He said, success is not final. You never fully succeed. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. And here's the last part. It is the courage to continue that matters. So today, we have to answer the question, what will I do after I fail? Maybe you are still questioning yourself years after a failure that you haven't healed or rebounded from. What will you do post failure. Here's a beautiful thing. With Jesus, you can experience 100% reinstatement. Revitalization. Whatever you want to call it, he will re you back together again. You can be whole. Listen to Luke Chapter 24, verse 34. Listen to the report of those who had just came back from a time of walking. They were going to a destination, and then along comes Jesus, and he talks with them on the road. This is the road to Emmaus, we call it. And as they're walking, they don't have a clue it's Jesus. They get down, they invite him in after the evening's done, and they sit down to have a meal, and Jesus breaks bread. And in that moment, their eyes are open. They realize this is Jesus. This is the end of the day. They're having a meal. They're going to pack up for the night and sleep. When they realize it's Jesus, he disappears from them. And what do they do? They immediately get up, and they go back to the disciples, and they report it. They report, we've seen Jesus. And listen to, the, to the, the comment by the disciples when they reported this to them. The disciples said, the Lord has really risen. Listen to this. He appeared to Peter. What's going on here? Right? We don't know what happened. We don't know the interchange between Jesus and Peter. All we know is that they were pretty stinking excited that he appeared to Peter. Something happened in that moment. Something happened that, that reinstated Peter to what God had for him. There was restoration. There was healing. There was wholeness. And everybody was excited about it. And we know this because in the book of John, Jesus has this beautiful exchange with his disciples. And I just want to read this to you because it is so beautiful. The picture of restoration 
that happened in Peter's life. Right? If Peter hadn't been restored, he wouldn't respond the way he does in the passage we're about to read. Because they were fishing. They were doing their old job again. Fishing for a catch for not only themselves, but for their business. They were back to their old business waiting for something to happen. Because they had nothing. They were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and descend and give them power so that they could go and build God's church. So they were waiting. They're waiting in Jerusalem. And Jesus comes, and listen to this, in verse 1 of John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel, from Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told him. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called them. You have not, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's of course John, because that's what he called himself, said to Peter, it is the Lord. Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Betcha Peter wouldn't have done that post the rooster crowing. He went out. He was weeping bitterly. He was dejected. He was at his lowest point in his life. Jesus, Jesus appeared. Jesus appeared to Peter, and everybody was excited about it. Something happened there. And now when Jesus comes back after they'd been fishing all night and caught nothing, and John recognizes that that's actually Jesus over there, Peter wastes no time, and he jumps in, and he swims. He could have waited five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it would have taken for them to get into shore, but no, he jumps in because he wants to get there now. He wants to be with the Savior. Something has happened. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish. When they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, even though there was so many, the net was not torn. Then if you know this passage, Jesus looks at Peter three times and asks, do you love me? And in that moment, that's when Peter was fully, publicly reinstated as the rock, as the one that Jesus was building his church on. And Jesus commissioned him to go and do what he was called to do. I'm telling you, resilience is the key. <laughs> Failure is not fatal. It's not the end. You must persevere. Jesus, Jesus has a way. It might require you to give up control of what you're doing, but Jesus doesn't want you to stay in failure. He wants you to rise up to 
what he has placed over you. You are a child of God. You are an heir, as Paul says it in Romans. Will you rise up? Will you experience the freedom that Peter experienced so much so that when he heard that it was Jesus, he wasted no time and jumped in? It wasn't because he didn't want to row the boat with the rest of them, because what does he do when they finally get there? What is he? He's the one who takes it and brings it to Jesus. Like He is just so full of, of thankfulness for what Jesus has done and the freedom that he has been given because he was an absolute failure and Jesus reinstated him. He wanted to do whatever he could because of his love for his Savior, his best friend, the one who would never let him down. And so that is, that is my call for you today. If you've failed, run to Jesus. He will bring you to the other side. Free, reinstated, full of hope and joy. Father, I pray for every person listening today that they would remember that they are a child of God, that you personally died for, to forgive them of all of their sins and to make them 100% pure in the eyes of the Father. And I pray that, God, whatever failures they have experienced, that, that they wouldn't just sit there in them. There is a time of mourning. Peter mourned. There is no doubt. And we must mourn. Because failure on our part requires reflection. So we must reflect. We must mourn of our, of our failures and our losses. But God, we must not stay there. And I pray that every person listening would, would offer them back up to you and say, I am I'm a failure. I've messed up. And I need your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? And I know and I'm confident that Jesus, you will. You will reinstate every person who says, I need your forgiveness. And you will give them freedom, hope, and their purpose back again in life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nexus Church family, for joining us again today. If you have any comments or questions or concerns, you can email us at nexuschurchmn at gmail.com, or you can check us out at Nexus Church at Facebook or on Instagram. And we would love to connect with you and help you to be connected to Jesus. We'll see you next time.